So here we go. Number one, what percentage of 20 to 40 year olds go to church? Now this is nationwide in an average week. A, B, C, or D. A is 25%, 30%, 35, 40%, or none of the above. E, a lot of none of the above. Well, the actual answer is B. 30% nationwide of 20 to 40 year olds go to church every week. Number two, how many people ages 20 to 40 live in Palestine? 1,500, and one of these answers is correct, by the way. Some of you are going like, 12, and we're all here. Um, 1,500, 2,500, 3,500, 4,500. C, 3,500, and you're all going, where are they? You singles that are, that are desperately clinging to the hope that you too can have marital bliss. There, there are some around, okay? And, and with 3,500, you know, that some of them will be good looking. Okay, we need to move on. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. How many people ages 20 to 40 live in Anderson County? 11,000, 13,000, 15,000, 17,000. 17,000 in Anderson County. Can you believe that? Now, if the national averages hold true, all right, we're going to look at, at Palestine and Anderson County. How many, first in Palestine, how many ages, folks, 18 or, or 20 to 40, do not attend church in a typical week? You know there's 3,500 of them in Palestine, so if you do the math, if you got that 0.7 times 3,500, some of you can't do that, so just guess. 1,500, 2,500, 3,500, 5,000. It can't be more than exist, right? Okay. Wiped out D. 2,500. There you go. Just look at the one, right? 2,500 people ages uh, 20 to 40 do not attend church in Palestine. Now, let's look at Anderson County. How many of that same age group do not go to church in Anderson County? D, 12,000 people. Okay, do the math. We've done this before. We've, we've figured out how many churches, and, and when we started New Life, there were actually 121 churches within the city limits of Palestine. That's not counting Elkhart, Slocum, Cayuga, Nature. That's not counting those churches. Within the city limits, 121 churches. And if you were to fill up every one of those churches, you know how many you would have on an average basis, on a weekly basis? About 5,000 people attending church. That means at least two-thirds of our population doesn't go anywhere. Two-thirds of the population in, in Palestine and in Anderson County. And do you know what the number one reason these people in this age group gave for not going to church? No child care? Well, that's part of it. Some of you told me that. Too lazy? Okay. Don't know where to go. Those are all good answers, but that's not the number one answer. What? Hypocrites, uninvited, those are good answers. Yay! But that's not number one. Survey says, survey says, church is irrelevant. They believe that church makes no difference in their everyday lives. And, and they're like, why would I go hang out for an hour in a place that's boring and irrelevant? And I'm like, yes, good, good question. I don't want to do that either. And see, here's the dilemma that we face. Teenagers who are church. I was a youth minister for 19 years. Teenagers who grow up in the church when they go off to college, the vast majority of them do not go to church. You know what the number one reason they gave for not going to church? It's boring and irrelevant. Church does not make a difference in my life. Why would I want to go? And then when those 
college students graduate and they go out into the real world, even fewer of them go to church on a regular basis. Do you know what they give as the number one reason why they don't go to church? Boring and irrelevant. Church does not matter. Guess who we're trying to target with New Life? With Nulk. Guess who we're trying to target? Which which group of people? Those people that think church is boring and irrelevant. So if we're going to reach those people, we better figure out what relevance means. So let me give you a definition. This is on your listening guide. Relevance means using what is cultural to say what is timeless. Using what is cultural to say what is timeless. Now let me give you a couple of other definitions for free. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Now, I'm not, I'm not gonna sit up here and say that tradition's bad. We have some traditions. The Christian church has traditions. Easter is a tradition. Christmas is a tradition. We're not gonna get rid of those. Those are good traditions. But traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. You see the difference? Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Tradition we carry on from somebody who's gone before us. We said, man, we want to emulate their lives. What they did was good. This tradition is good. Traditionalism, though, is when we forget what the tradition was about in the first place and we start worshiping the tradition. You ever seen that happen with, say, Christmas? People celebrating Christmas that don't even know that it's the birthday of Jesus. And I'm I'm not knocking you. If you get free time off from work, have a ball. But traditionalism is when I worship the tradition instead of what the tradition stands for. Now, I've got a uh, tablet up here, and, and let me let me explain some stuff here. You know how wonderful my drawings are, right? If you've been here any amount of time. And uh, stick figures, yes, you will have some. Now, we used to have this big honking board, but it blinded people up here. The glory of God shown on the first couple of rows, so we've tried to, to negate that. So I'm going to draw really big so you can see over there, and, and really simple because I can't draw. Now, God is an artist. Does anybody know what that is? Wrong. That's earth. That's earth. All right. That's as detailed as you get when I'm doing the drawing. Now, God is an artist. Thank God he does, he's not like me. You know, God is an actual artist. God planned the earth that we enjoy. God planned this and, and he inhabited it with, he created creatures and then he created a man and he stuck him in the Garden of Eden. What'd they name him? Adam. God put Adam in the Garden of Eden, and it was this wonderful garden. And God created all of these animals, and and He actually brought them before Adam, and Adam named them all. I don't know how you come up with some of the names, but Adam did that. That's what the Bible tells us. He named all the animals. When He gets to all of the animals, the end, Adam notices that there's there's a female counterpart for every species on the planet except man. And the Bible says no suitable helper was found for him. So what does God do? God causes Adam to fall asleep, and the Bible tells us that, that he takes a rib out of Adam's side and he creates who? Eve, not Steve. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Okay. Now, I gave her hair. That's as good as I could do. Now, God knew before he ever created anything. God knew he was going to give us free will. And he knew that if he gives us free will, which means we can choose to do right or wrong, God knew, the Bible says before the foundation of the world, God knew that we were going to be rebellious. And he, he gives them one thing they're not supposed to eat, one fruit, and we call it the apple, we don't know, it's just a fruit. And they hang out next to that tree until they finally give in and, and they, they eat the fruit. God wasn't surprised by all that. God knew that we were going to mess up. So God is the artist. He's outside of His creation. He knew before He created anything that, that we were going to be rebellious. 
So before he ever did this, God consulted, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit consulted together and knew that he was going to send Jesus Christ to help us get back to God because we were sinful. He, he had to send someone who was sinless to live a sinless life, to die on a cross in the place of sinners. Because see, if we don't come on Jesus' ticket before God, heaven's a perfect place. God can't allow imperfect people into a perfect place. So you either have to stand before God and say, here's my life, God. I need to get into a perfect place based on my life. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. I know me. I'm not perfect. If you want to try that, the Bible says you're free to do that. But according to Jesus Christ, you're going to bust hell wide open. Because if you come on your own account, God says you're sinful. I can't let a sinner into my heaven. But if you come on Christ's ticket, the blood of Jesus Christ washes us. Then we can come into heaven based on Christ's ticket. We're made perfect not because we deserve it, but because Jesus Christ was perfect. So God knew before, before the world was ever created, God knew that He was going to have to do something to rescue us. So it looked like this. This pitcher, and what's in here is just water. And the water represents the timeless truth of God. Now, if it's timeless, by definition, it does not change. The timeless truth of God never changes. And God knew at just the right time, He was going to pour His timeless truth into a man named Jesus Christ. He was going to set Him down right in the middle of a Hebrew culture in an ancient world. And, and let me show you some scriptures that kind of explain what Jesus did. God has always invaded our world. He didn't wait until Jesus came to invade the world. Look what Hebrews 1.1 says. Long ago, God spoke in many different ways to our fathers through the prophets, in visions, dreams, and even face-to-face, -face, telling them little by little about His plans. God has always, from the time Adam and Eve were created, God has invaded our world, and He has spoken to us. And God has at different times choreographed the events of history to get His timeless message across to these people that He loves. There were times that God had armies march across the world in order to get His timeless message across. There were times that God allowed His chosen people, the Israelites, the people of God, to go into slavery because they had turned their backs on God and He wanted to get their attention so He could pour this timeless message into them. It never changes. And it rocks people's worlds when they understand it. Now, I want you to check this out. John 1, 1 through 3. We studied this back in the Tri-God series. And if you want to get those messages, go on iTunes. You can get those. Here's what it says. In the beginning, the Word... Notice the, the Word is capitalized. The Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, al he was already with God in the beginning. Everything came into existence through Him. Not one thing that exists was made without Him. Now, if you study this and you go down to John chapter 1, verse 14, we, we uh, read, And the Word became flesh and made His home, His dwelling among us. So we know that the Word there is talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave up what He had in heaven so that God could pour His timeless message into Him, send Him to a world to communicate with us. And that's when God um, set Him in Mary's womb and God invaded our world physically. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you'll understand what relevance is. Look at Galatians 4.4. 4. It says, But when the right time finally came, God sent His own Son, he came as the son of a human mother and he lived under the Jewish law. God waited until just the right time. What was the right time? It was a Hebrew culture in an ancient Roman world. Just the right time. God invaded physically to try to rescue you and I because we're sinful people. 
Now, we got to study this life of Jesus because we say we're followers of Christ. I was talking to a young man the other day. He's going to be baptized on Easter Sunday. And, and we were talking about follow the leader. I said, you ever played follow the leader? And he's, he's six. And, and he said, yes. And I said, what do you do when you play follow the leader? And he looked at me like I'm totally stupid. You follow the leader. Very good. That's right. And, and one of the reasons we're baptized is because Jesus was baptized. But we got to study Jesus' life. And if we're going to follow him, we got to do what Jesus did. Jesus came and he lived on this earth to do two things. First thing he came to do was to build a bridge relationally. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, everybody here has played uh, hide-and-go-seek, right? Have you played sardines? Sardines is hide-and-go-seek in reverse. Sardines is one person goes, hides, everybody around them goes and finds them, and then when you find them, you you hide with them until everybody else finds you. We have a new tradition. It's It's a Washburn tradition on Christmas Day. We don't go see any family. Christmas Day is Washburn... Uh, day and, and we open presents and we have a good time and, and then we go to an empty parking lot. We load up all of our bicycles and ripsticks and scooters and, and we go play in an empty parking lot and we ride till we can't ride anymore and, and then we play hide and go seek and this, this past Christmas we decided to play sardines. And, uh, and I like playing stuff like that so while I'm going around looking for my kids, I decide I want a killer hiding place. I want some place they're just frustrated. I'm not just a little competitive, but anyway, I, I'm, I'm scoping out all of these places. So while I'm going, finding the kids, you know, I'm looking around, looking, where's a good place, where's a good place, where's a good place? Well, I spotted this, this uh, delivery truck. It's an 18-wheeler, and I noticed that on the sides of the bed, it's a flatbed truck, on the sides are about eight inches of metal, and it has little bitty holes in it, and I thought, I could get up there. So when it's my turn, is the last one, we're about to go home, it's my turn, I go and hide, run over there and I hide. And I actually climbed up. There was a metal cross brace here and the drivetrain is coming down here. So I had to straddle the drivetrain and I get up there and I put the metal brace right here on my belly and I'm laying out like this. Well, I thought my, my hands are dangling, so I can't do that. So there's just enough of a little thing on the angle iron or on the iron. It's like a C channel that's, that's down this way. So I stick my toes here and my hands here. And I'm up, and then my hat's sticking out, and I have a white hat on, which is just totally stupid. So I take the hat off, and I put it over there. And I'm like, I'm winning. So they count for like ever. And I'm already sweating, and I'm, I'm shaking because I'm trying to hold myself up. But I'm going to win. And they come by, and I can see them. And I'm kind of snickered, but that, that makes it hurt worse. I'm trying not to snicker. And, and the kids come by, where's Daddy? I don't see Daddy. I'm like, ha-ha. Janie comes by, they're all coming by, and, and I'm dying. I'm thinking, i got to stay here a little bit to make this even worth the effort, so I'm dying. They leave, and they go all the way to the other side of the parking lot, and they're looking under everything that could hide a daddy, you know? And I'm going, I finally got tired. I'm exhausted. My arms give out. My belly was jacked up because I'm laying on this thing, and I just sit down. I let go, and I sit down, and my hat was ruined, and my shirt was ruined, and, and uh, I sit on the on, on the parking lot. I just sit there thinking... Someday they're going to look back and see me. Ten minutes later they look and they go, there's daddy, he wasn't there a while ago. And so they come over and I show them and they're like, man, you're stupid. <laughs> One of my favorite hats, it was a white hat, was a white hat. And Janie said, you ruined that. And I said, yeah, but I won. Um, it's no fun. Hide and go seek is no fun if you never get found. It's it's a lot of work to hide. I'm sweating on Christmas Day. 
And I have black all over me because, you know, there's carbon and there's all kinds of junk under there. I wipe my face and I look like Drew's beard, only it was up here. And, uh, and I got to thinking, it's no fun to hide. It's a lot of work to hide. And some of you have been hiding for a long time. You've been hiding behind relationships or job. Or, you've been hiding. And what the Bible says is that Jesus Christ came to seek that which was lost. Jesus was the very first seeker. He seeks us before we ever seek Him. It's no fun to stay hidden. Jesus spent His life on earth building bridges to lost people. The Bible says that, that when He seeks people, He finds them. Well, He found Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He found them fishing. He found Matthew in a tax collector's booth. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to tell you about tax collectors. They are the lowest of the... They're so low. I'm not making this up. They're so low that they are considered below dung collectors. They were dung collectors. Go behind and sweep up, you know, kind of like the little du- thing does at our parades. You know the parade's over when the horses come and then you got the little dusty, the sweet street sweeping machine. There were people that did that and that um, occupation was considered higher than tax collector. Okay. Jesus found Matthew in a tax collector's booth. He found Zacchaeus in a tree. You remember that? Zacchaeus. I'm not going to sing to you again. Y'all made fun of me last week. He found Zacchaeus in a tree. He found the woman at the well, and he found the blind man beside the road. And he found me 38 years ago in a little Baptist church on a Sunday night. God has always been seeking, and he's always been finding. He's building bridges to lost people. From the moment he entered the world, he was working God's plan. And that plan was seeking people who were lost. And then as he was approaching his death, you know, he spends three years in a public ministry seeking people, seeking people who are lost. And then as he's coming to his death, he wants to prepare his followers, his disciples is what we call them, so that they can carry on the message of building bridges to lost people. And so he says, and I read this a lot at, at uh, funerals, it's John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus says, you know the place where I'm going, and uh, I'm going to prepare many places. If I come, if I'm going to prepare those places, I'm going to come back and get you and take you that you may be where I am. And, and you don't know the way, but I'm going to come back and get you. And, and, and Philip, one of his followers says, okay, great, Jesus. But before you go, could you show us God the Father? You can look this up in, in John 14, um, verses one through six. You get down to verse nine and, and, and Jesus is like, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking to see him? He looks right at his follower. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the follower, uh, seen the father. If you go just a few chapters before that, Jesus plainly states, I and the father are one. If you've seen God, you've seen, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God and vice versa. Why could he say that? How could, how could this human being that entered into our world, how could he say that I and the father are one? Because God had poured his timeless truth into a man named Jesus Christ who invaded our world to build bridges to lost people. And Jesus spent his time on earth building those bridges. So if we're going to say that we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we got to build bridges to lost people. But Jesus came for a second reason. He came to turn on a light spiritually. I love this... uh, this illustration that Jesus used and, and that John uses about Him in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The Word, there it is again, capitalized, it's got to be talking about Jesus. The Word was the source of life and this life brought what? Light to the people. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never put it out. Now you got to think this through. At that point in history, Roman rulers, um, Jewish people, intense religion, some of the most religious people ever to walk the face of the planet. But the lights had gone out. It was a time of spiritual darkness. Those religious leaders were busy building walls, not bridges. Go back to the Old Testament. The tabernacle, they built walls around the, the tabernacle of God. And the outer walls were to keep out Gentiles. You know who Gentiles are? You and me. Anybody who's not a Jew. These walls were built to keep out the Gentiles. Then you come inside, there's another wall that's to keep out women. At least women were better than Gentiles to the Jews, but, but you couldn't go any further. Then the men and then the priests, they were good at building walls, but as they built walls, they were putting out lights. Does that sound familiar to anyone? We're real good at building church buildings that keep people out. We're real good at having these things that, that, that we can gather in, but it's putting out the light. Jesus existed to turn on lights spiritually. You see, when Jesus came to the religious leaders, you get, oh, this is just an amazing study. When Jesus comes to the religious leaders, He reserves His harshest criticism for them. He says, you're blind people leading blind people. He says, whenever you convert someone to your way of religion, you make them twice as much a son of hell. He called them vipers. He called them hypocrites, snakes. And then He called them whitewashed tombs. Because back then what they would do, you know, for the graveyard, we have our tombstones and we have flowers and all that stuff. And, and really what a graveyard is is a place where dead people go. Jesus said, you're dead. You dress up the outside so that you look good, but inside it's full of dead men's bones. They would whitewash the tomb so it wouldn't look so, uh, so bad to people coming by. Jesus said, that's what religious people are. And, and if you compare Jesus Methods to these religious leaders? I mean, just think about this. The religious leaders, they said that um, they would only hang out with people who had it together. And they said, not only do you have to follow the Bible, which at that time was the Old Testament, and they called it the law, which was really the first five books of the Old Testament. It's what Moses had written. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They said, not only do you have to follow the law, they came up with over 1,500 other rules that they said are just as important as what's in here. Holy mackerel. You ever hear anybody, me, anybody say that what they're saying is just as important in the Bible? Run away. The religious leaders thought that their rules and regulations were just as important as God's rules. And that's never, ever the case. And so when they made their rules and they made their religion, they were actually putting out the light. It's, it's as if you had to be in the inner circle to even sit at a table with them. Does that sound, sound familiar? You have to dress a certain way, do a certain thing in order to be accepted in a certain culture? Sounds like our churches. Maybe that's why 70% of 20 to 40 year olds aren't going to church. But you compare what Jesus did. See, the religious leaders, they complicated things. God is love. Then they would build all of this sermon for an hour and a half about if you follow these rules, then maybe you might begin to resemble God. But Jesus, when He came, He simplified everything. No one had ever taught like this because somebody came up to Him and they were testing this. They said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus like, oh, that's simple. Love God and love people. What? 
I thought you were going to expound for an hour and a half. No, love God and love people. He simplified it. And then he took that message. He turned on the light. He took that message to the people who desperately needed it. Prostitutes loved hanging out with Jesus. Lepers, tax collectors, murderers, they flock to Jesus. They don't flock to our churches. You tell me why that is. Because we're not building bridges. We're not turning on lights. Jesus simplified things. And I want to ask you, what church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of one that, that builds walls and turns off lights or builds bridges and turns on lights? Thank you. Me too. Sharon and I are starting a new church tomorrow <laughs> because we want to build bridges and turn on lights. The reason we do church the way we do church is because we're all about bridge building. If you want to know if a church is like Jesus Christ, ask the question, are they building bridges? Are they turning on lights? If the answer is no, they are not honoring the name of Jesus Christ. When people call us Christians, you know that's really little Christs? That's the greatest compliment you could ever receive. Back in Jesus' day, the religious leaders actually made up the term. And it was a term, it was a derogatory term. It was, you remind me of that Jesus. You're a little Christ. Thank you very much. I don't hear many accusations like that towards people who claim to, claim, claim to be Christians nowadays. We want to be a church that reaches out to prostitutes, to sick people, to poor people, to drug addicts, to divorced people, to religion addicts, to recovering Baptists, and even to Democrats. Okay, I was just seeing if you're listening. Just, just check it. We dress casually because we are paranoid that someone will come to this church one day and not hear about the love of Christ because they think they're not dressed well enough. And that's unacceptable. We do music that's fun and has a beat so that people can relax and maybe tap their toes, maybe clap, and they'll let their guard down. They'll hear about a God who would rather die for them than live without them. We do stupid videos that make fun of ourselves. By the way, I was the monkey behind the camera. Thank you very much, Drew. I think he was talking about himself, but I happen to be the one that filmed this last one. And, and by the way, when, when you see a video up here, how long was that video? Where's Drew? How long was that? Two minutes. We filmed for two and a half hours. We filmed so long, both our wives are calling, what are you doing? And then how long did you edit that? So that two minutes you saw was ten and a half hours that he invested in that. You know why he'll give his time? Because he believes in what we're doing, building bridges and turning on lights. We want people to laugh and have a good time and say, that church is not normal. We take that as a compliment. If you tell us we're not normal, say, yes, we're accomplishing our mission. Our, our teaching is intended to show you that Christianity is not only the only way to die. Jesus Christ said there's one way to God and it's through Him. So it's the only way to die. Christianity is also the best way to live. That's why we design our services the way we do. Everything is about building bridges and turning on lights. Our children, why do we have children's church at the same time that we have big church? 
Have you ever wrestled a four-year-old in a church service? I've done two. I didn't want to do three. So we started our own church. Uh, it wasn't quite that simple, but kind of like that. We want environments that are relevant for every age group. So we do stuff back there where they will hear about the love of Christ in a way that they can understand. You go to each classroom. It's painted in a certain way. The teachers love kids. They're going to teach a, a, a lesson to your children. They're going to hear about the love of Christ. They're going to come home if they're in our baby's area. They're going to pat the Bible. Oh, I love to pat the Bible, the Bible. If you're a parent, you know, you've heard it. We learned that years ago. Our kids came home saying, that's pretty cool. We teach that to our children back there. We teach them about God's love. We teach them that they're special and God has a purpose for them. It's in an environment that they can understand. And when we have, t we have teenagers now, we have a youth group and, and our youth group is designed for them. They go to conferences that are designed for them. I was invited to a conference and I said, I did that. I'm too old. I don't go to those conferences anymore. I was invited to play paintball. I'm like, no, I'm staying at home with my wife where it's warm. You shoot each other. But these guys went out and got in the tent Friday night, by the way. That's really funny to me. Um, luckily, they put the tent up after it quit raining. But you know what happened? Teenagers don't even know this yet. They connected. They're building, James is building bridges with teenagers. Amanda had seven junior high girls over here in, in the house. God love her. <laughs> no, we, we stopped by and, and they had a blast, but they're, they're building bridges. And when they go to youth camp this summer, Janie and I are actually going, we're going to cook though. We're going to cook and then sit on the beach and cook and sit on the beach and they, they go and turn on lights spiritually. We're, we're just going to cook. But we do that so that teenagers can hear about this Christ and hopefully when they go off to college, they don't turn their backs on it because they said, I've been in a church and they look for a church that's relevant. That's our goal. Our job is to do the same thing that Jesus did. And so we're to take this timeless message and figure out how to how to teach that message in 2009 so that people hear about the love of Christ. The message never changes, but the methods have to. Relevance is using what is cultural to say what is timeless. Our whole job, what we will be judged on, is how we manage this timeless message when we stand before God. How did we manage the timeless message and how did we turn on lights spiritually so that people could hear about this timeless God? Now, I want to I show you a video and, it, and it, it plays into what we're talking about here. This is about how you come to Christ and, and this is just using 2009 technology to tell you about Jesus. Watch this. Faith. Works. Salvation. Man, talk about your polarizing topics. Everyone has an opinion on them. Can we work our way to heaven? Does it just simply take faith? And what is an authentic faith? Well, let's investigate the arithmetic behind these important questions and see how the truth really adds up. Some people believe that works equals salvation. Simply put, this is man's effort to work his way up to God and become acceptable in his sight. This is the view of religion, that lots of good works equals salvation. However, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hmm, sounds like something is wrong with our equation. So, let's scratch works and replace it with faith. 
Surely that's all we need to make our equation correct. Well, we need to tread carefully here. Faith is ultimately what makes us acceptable to God. And we know without faith, it is impossible to please God. But this equation is incomplete. James chapter 2 verse 17 says that faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So, works must be factored into the equation. One popular view of the salvation formula is faith plus works equals salvation. People think that belief in Christ is important, but that salvation is still dependent upon doing enough good with their life. They rightly acknowledge the expectation that works are involved, but they confuse why they're there. It may be subtle, but it's wrong. Why? Well, look at this quick math lesson. We can all agree that 2 plus 3 equals 5. Thus, since this equation is true, it also means that 3 equals 5 minus 2. A true equation holds up regardless of how you move the pieces around. We call them fact families. So let's return to our formula. If faith plus works equals salvation is true, then the formula of faith equals salvation minus works must also be true. And Professor James has already reminded us that this kind of faith just doesn't add up. Let's try this one more time. We are saved by faith. But James does add something to the equation by challenging us with what our faith should look like. It's not that works create our salvation. Rather, it's that works should accompany our salvation. That's an authentic faith. Growing in Christ-likeness in such a way that our lives bear the fruit of good works. And yes, I know what you're thinking. If this fact family is true, then faith minus works equals salvation must also be true. So if you have no works, are you saved? Let's just say while we can celebrate God's amazing grace, the expectation of God's word is that we would see the fruit of your real faith. So while the math adds up, it should bother you that your life does not. The fact is we are saved by faith alone. But the faith which saves is never alone. Still not sure about all of this? Well, you do the math. Pretty good, huh? What we're trying to do is tell everyone the timeless message is that faith saves us. Faith alone saves us. But if that faith does not cause you to want to serve God, you don't understand what it costs Jesus Christ. Salvation is free, but it's the most costly gift you could ever receive. It costs God His Son. Now, if we're going to be relevant, if we're going to take this timeless message and, and uh, apply it in Palestine, Texas, and Janie and I have pledged the rest of our lives to, to apply this timeless message here in Palestine, and I think God's called some of you to do the same, then let's, let's figure out a few things. Three things we've got to understand. First, we have to distinguish between what is cultural and what is timeless. We have to figure out which is cultural and which is timeless. That means understand the difference between the water and the pitcher. That's a, that's a good looking pitcher, isn't it? I didn't even know we had this. I didn't even know we owned it. It tells you how much we use it. Um, cause here's what happens. Sometimes we, we get to, uh, using the timeless message, but we start noticing the pitcher. And we start, oh, it's a pretty picture. We can't, we can't possibly let dirty, sinful people use our picture. There was a time we were going to have, actually it was before I ever got to the church, but there was a time when this one church um, was going to have a Christian concert. 
And, and the people said, no. And they were asked, why, why would you not let us have a Christian concert? And they said, because there'd be lost people there. God forbid there should be lost people in a church. It's building walls, putting out the light. We are not going to worship this building. We're going to use the building. And it's my prayer in five years, we've outgrown this building. We've paid off this building and we've grown. We have multiple services. But that's not going to happen unless you guys get involved. So we're going to, we're going to figure out the difference between what's cultural and what's timeless. When a missionary goes to a foreign country, they study the culture, they study the language, they study the music, and they try to figure out how to pour this timeless message into that culture. That's what we're doing in Palestine. You don't think we have a mission field? This is not a Christian city. This is not a Christian county. It's not a Christian nation. The mission field is ripe. We've got to be the ones that build those bridges. God never said, He never told, Jesus didn't tell people, you must come to this building to worship me. He said to His followers, go and make disciples. Go and build bridges and turn on lights. So we've got to figure that out. Number two, Never assume what worked yesterday will work today. What too many Christians assume is that what worked for us in the past will work to us, with us, for us, one of those words, until Jesus comes home. When I was a kid, I grew up in, in a very, um, strict Baptist church, and, and, and I'm not saying anything about that, but one of the, one of the deals was, one of the songs I loved singing as a kid was, give me that old time religion, give me that old, and I was thinking about that this week. Um, it was good enough for mama, it's good enough for me, good enough for my grandpappy, it's good enough for me. You know, that's what the whole song says. And I was thinking about that and saying, why did I like that song? And it hit me this morning when I was studying this morning early. It hit me why I liked the song. It's the only song we ever did that had a beat. I remember dancing around the house. Give me that old time. That's how I got started. Couldn't do that at church, but I could do that at home. I could, I could. It had a beat. And it, my, my mom played the organ in that church. And, and I heard about Christ and I gave my life to Christ in that church, but that church is dead now. Because I think some people got confused about what was timeless and what was cultural. You know, if, if I, I did youth ministry for 19 years and we had a lot of cool stuff that we did. It would be completely arrogant for me to go to James and go, here's this package, I did this. Take my wonderful package and, and you can use these programs and you can grow a great youth group. That'd be arrogant. It would be just like my dad. My dad was in World War II. He was in uh, the CBs, Guadalcanal, all that stuff. When he got out of the, the Navy, he and my mom moved to Borger, Texas. I'm like, why? Anyway, um, it's because there were jobs. That was the only reason he came. But when they moved to Borger in 1948, they found a little Baptist church. And it would be like my dad saying, Hey, Doug, what worked in that little Baptist church in 1948? That's the only way to do church. You need to do church like that. Ironically, my parents are still in the church that's doing things the way they did in 1948. I love my parents and, and I love their little church. But they're doing more funerals than they're doing weddings. It's just a matter of time. You want to do another type of math? Do the math on that. When you've had 30 funerals in the last year and no weddings, how long do you think it's going to be before the doors are closed? 
our church must change with the times or we'll become irrelevant. And a short step from irrelevance is incompetence. And a short step from incompetence is death. Third thing we got to do is we got to c- communicate for the sake of application, not just information. God wants the Bible to transform our lives, not just inform our lives. So we take the timeless truth of God and we put it in digestible form so that you can understand. We do a children's program for them at their level so they can understand. We do not talk to them about David and Bathsheba. That's inappropriate for their age level. But we say the word sex in here quite often. Why? Number one, God made it. Number two, it's good. God intends it to be in marriage. And done God's way, it brings us closer together. Woohoo! We talk in here about things that are relevant. We talk in our teenagers, in our impact group, with things that are relevant. We talk to our children with things that are relevant to them. So the question that we ask time after time is, what do you want them to know? What do you want them to do? What I want you to know from week to week is the information. What I want you to do from week to week is the application. Here's the information I've given you today, summed up as as simply as I, I, I can. I gave you information about Jesus. He was a bridge builder and he was a light turner owner. It's as simple as I can make it. That's the information. You can quote me on that. The application though, what do I want you to do? Right now, I want you to ask, am I a bridge builder? I mean, that's a real simple yes or no question, not maybe. Am I a bridge builder? Yes or no? And and actually, I want you to turn the back of your registration card and write that out. Yes or no? Just write it small because you're going to write a few things. Am I a bridge builder? Yes or no? And if you if the answer is yes, to whom are you building bridges? Because the only people I know that build a bridge to nowhere is the U.S. Congress. <laughs> I'm building bridges. Someday someone's going to find my bridges. No. To whom are you building bridges? I want you to write a name down. If there's somebody that you're trying to connect with. And question number two. Am I a light turner on her? Yes or no? That's what Jesus did. Are you building bridges? If yes, to whom? Are you turning on lights? If the answer to either of those questions or both of those questions is no, I just want everybody to bow your heads right now. If the answer to either of those questions is no, please admit that to God right now. He's not going to be mad at you and beat you up. But I want you to admit that to God and say, God, I've blown it. Help me to be like Jesus. Father, help us to play follow the leader. It's in our leader's name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, one thing, last thing I want you to do on your listening guide. Two weeks from today is Easter. People are more receptive to an invitation to go to church on Easter than they are at any other time of the year except Christmas. See down there at the bottom? People I will invite. This is who you're going to build a bridge to in the next two weeks. List the names of people that that you believe God wants you to invite to church. We're going to have a lot of fun on Easter, and I hope it's the most relevant message that I could ever preach. 
But I want you to write some names down. And actually, I would like for you to put those names on the back of your registration card as well because I want to pray over those names the next two weeks that God will, will, will make circumstances happen so that those people come to church. Because I know some of you... By the way, you're never responsible for whether they accept the invitation. You can build a bridge, and if they don't want to cross the bridge, that's not your fault. But you're supposed to build the bridge. You are supposed to, according to God, invite people. So you invite. If they turn you down, just keep praying. I'm going to be praying. We're going to pray that God will do some stuff and we'll pack this place out like we never have before. Set a record last week. We, we may be close to or over that record this week. I want to blow that record out of the water on Easter Sunday, but it's not going to happen unless you make it happen. Do you know that we've tried all kinds of things to get people to come? And you know the number one way people come? 99.9% of the people who have ever visited our church, you know why they came? Someone invited them. You don't want to go to what used to be the skating rink if you don't know anybody there. Right? Especially when you don't have a sign. We don't even say we're a church. Go to that dark gray building and walk in there. See if they turn on the light. Now, if you don't know two or three people, three or four people, then we'll pray for you. But... um you go to the gas station, you go to the grocery store. I mean, there's somebody you can invite, okay? Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we want to do this Christian life like you did on earth. We want to build bridges and turn on lights. Help us start doing that today. God, I pray for the sake of your kingdom that you bring some new visitors next week and on Easter. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.